We are come now in that part of John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he is praying for his own, for his followers. The first few verses, he's praying to his father, and now he's praying for his followers. He is called the high priest in this prayer because he is interceding at this point of the prayer for his followers. Here's what he's done when it begins at verse 6 of John 17. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the word you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So the first things that happens in this process is he says, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. They were yours, a group of people that from all eternity that God chose and loved and extended his love to. But then in time, the event occurred that they were given to Jesus as his people. We turn that around and we call that the moment of conversion. We call that the time when a person understands that they are sinful and they need a Savior. And they hear about Jesus the Savior. And they put their faith in Him. And they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We call it new birth, new life, being born again. They were yours. You gave them to me. And then he says, I reveal you to them. Well, how does he reveal God the Father to us? I gave them the words you gave me. I gave them the words. Not some impression, not some mountaintop experience, not some ecstatic utterance. The word. And for the better comfort and protection of the church, the Holy Spirit works so that that word has been written down. And now we have it in an assured, reliable manner. And he said, as a result of receiving that word, they obeyed. Well, why did they obey? Because they knew with certainty that I came from you. These words produce certainty because they come from God. They're written down by human beings as God and the Holy Spirit moved in their minds and their hearts and used their personalities and their wills. And you can see that illustrated in the different uh, writing styles in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, are significantly different in the way they're written, in the purpose that they were written, in the style in which they were written, in the number of words. Matthew's full of all this teaching because it was written for Jews. You know, Mark was written for Romans. The key word there is immediately. Luke was written for people that care about things like Mary's song. John was written for everybody. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. They're all different, but they all say the same thing. Jesus is Lord. And so, having given that Word to His people, His followers, they produce certainty. And that certainty helps produce obedience. Because if God's Word is sure, and we can rely upon it, then we can reliably and with certainty obey him because we know that the promises are reliable. You see how that pattern works. So Jesus has done two things for his people. Number one, 
He has given them a sure word that produces certainty and belief, and it causes us to be obedient followers. That's the mark of a Christian, is obedience. But he does a second thing for us, and this comes up now in verse 9. I pray for them. I've given them your word, and now I'm going to pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those those you have given me, for they are yours. And he makes a distinction. He says, at this point, I'm praying especially for the people that you gave me. I've given them word, it produced certainty, and now that has produced obedience. But guess what? They live in an environment. They swim in a stream. That recognition of God and obedience to Him causes friction. It's called the world. And therefore, I'm going to pray for them. Now, in these verses last week, I'm not praying for the world as you give me. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Hmm. This is the fact that he prays. This week, beginning in verse 11, we're going to look at the content of what he prays. I will remain in the world no longer. And you have this in your bulletin, I think. On page 9, you have the scripture and you have an outline. And it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. So here is the Son of God. This is between the upper room and the garden of Gethsemane. And he is reviewing with his father what he's been doing the last 33 years and how that relates to eternity past and eternity future. It's an amazing thing to be here. It seems like a very private prayer between Jesus and his father. And I wonder, do we have the right to be here? Are we intruding? Well, Jesus says, I pray these things out loud so that they may hear me pray. So he wanted it to be heard by his apostles and remembered and written down. And then he says further on, my prayer in verse 20 is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So down through the eons, through different across seas and through continents and 2,000 years, the word has come down to us. And we believe the same word that they believed. And it gives us confidence and obedience. So he's praying for us. And this is kind of our ticket to be here and study John 17, this private prayer. So what is it does he pray? I'm very interested in that. What is uppermost in his mind? What do his people need the most on their journey. Are you interested in that? Would you like to know what that content is? Well, he opens up by saying here, 
I pray for them. And then he says in this verse, Holy Father, protect them. Protect them. Now, the antenna should go up. Because when you say protect someone, that means there's what? Danger. In other words, why do they need protecting? From what are they being protected? How are they protected? It just raises all sorts of questions and issues. After all, I thought when I became a Christian, my troubles would be over. I would have a king for my father and a prince for my brother and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so sin would no longer rule over me. Health would be mine by divine right. I would never get sick. Wealth would come rolling down because I'm a child of the king. I don't remember anyone promising me that, although these days there are those who do. But somehow I thought that's what would happen. And then what a rude awakening after I became a Christian. I was still tempted. Hmm, where'd that come from? And then I found that I still got sick. And I found that getting rich was a price I wasn't willing to pay. And then I found out I could still fall to sin. Then I found that I could still fail in life. I thought, what in the world is going on? And then you read something like John 17, and it says, Father, protect them. And then it dawns on me, this is the normal state of affairs. I'm in a situation, a fallen person in a fallen world, and I need protecting because the things that are against me are greater than I am. So I need protecting. Well, let's dig in. Let's see what it is we need protecting from and then how we can be protected. Let's begin by looking at the experience ahead. And then we'll look at the expression of his heart. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. I will remain in the world no longer. For three years, these apostles have lived with Jesus, eaten with Jesus, slept with Jesus, traveled with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, been taught by Jesus, shown miracles, they had developed a bond and a relationship to the point that even Doubting Thomas would say, let's go with him and if necessary, die with him. That Peter would say, whom else can we follow? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And now he says to them, I'm leaving. He's made provision. He says, I will send the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit you can't see. He's like the wind. You can't touch him. You can't hear verbal words from him. That doesn't mean he's any less God or any less effective because he's perfectly equipped to do what God has assigned him to do. But when you spent three years of the flesh and blood breathing human beings, and right here at the critical point, he says, I'm leaving. You might say, can I go with you? Can I go with you? May I accompany you? And what does he say? I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. This is going to be a trauma for them. It's going to be an avalanche of evil because a raid against these poor apostles and his followers are the Roman government which sees Jesus as being seditious and rebellious and will ultimately put him to death. Their own people, the Jews, have decided he's too dangerous and may, he, may cause the Romans to crush Israel even further. Everything is arrayed against them. And he says, I'm leaving. This is a tough situation. But notice this, I'm leaving, but they are still in the world. Let's go ahead and quickly define what the world is here so we don't get confused. The world is not creation. In fact, way back in the Garden of Eden, mankind was given the responsibility for it to tend and care for the creation. We are made from dust of the earth. We have a kinship. Everywhere I go in people's backyards, they often have a garden, even if it's a few tomato plants. We have dirt in our veins. In fact, I got out of my car, and on the other side of the parking lot are these beautiful bushes, and there's some flowers there. I parked on the far side. I park on the far side so visitors can have empty spaces, and so people driving along the road can see my car. I go to restaurants that have cars, don't you? You're going by a restaurant and you didn't see any cars? In fact, two weeks ago, Sandy and I were going to a restaurant. We pulled up. We're the only car in the parking lot. You know what we did? We kept on going. And I pulled up out there, and next to all these beautiful flowers and bushes is a corn stalk about four feet high. I don't know where it came from. Did someone plant it? Is it voluntary? We are connected to the earth. We love the earth. We care for the earth. We nurture it and treasure it. So this is not talking about being anti-earth or anti-environment. The world here is not creation. The world here is, is cosmos, okay? And it means an organized entity. For example, here's my joke. Uh, Jesus, uh, it says in, in uh, Genesis that there was uh, the Holy Spirit brooded over the earth and there was confusion and darkness and chaos. 
And then God spoke, and the, what was there began to come into shape into uh, uh, water and continents and plants and animals. When it went from being chaotic to being organized, that's what chaos, cosmos, means. From it, we get our word cosmetology or cosmetics. And so cosmetics are bringing order from chaos. Now, that will help you remember that when it says the world, it means an ordered entity. And what is the purpose of that order? To defy God. Not the creation, but this organized world. It's designed to defy God. It doesn't begin that way. It begins, first of all, by ignoring God. Not acknowledging God when we get up in the morning and say, this is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. God, how can I serve you today? Thank you for all that you've given me. Protect me. Keep me from sin. It's a mindset that says God is ignored in my day, in my family, in my work, in my schools. By all means, let's get God out of the schools because it's hard to ignore him if you're praying to him. Let's get God out of our government. Let's get God out of our family. Let's get God out of everywhere. It begins by ignoring. And then once people get used to ignoring, then they're willing to start defying because after all, if he can be ignored, there's no problem with defying and eliminating him, correct? So there's a pattern that goes here. So if you are a person that has been given to Christ as his special treasure, and you've been given his word that's reliable, and you begin to read it and live according to it, obey it, there's no wonder that this group is going to come in conflict with this group. In fact, Jesus says, in the world you will have many tribulations. Is what he says. So this is what Jesus is saying. I'm leaving the world, but I'm leaving you in it. In the world. That's a scary proposition. It almost guarantees that there's going to be temptation and persecution and even falling in failure at times. But here's the thing. You say, well, Jesus, can we go with you? May we accompany you? No, you must stay here. But if I stay here, I may end up denying you three times before the rooster crows. Don't you care about me failing? If I stay here, I may be persecuted. In fact, I may be crucified upside down in Rome. Don't you care about that? Well, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm going to make sure you're always healthy and you're always wealthy. As far as we know, all the apostles, save one, died violently. And John the apostle died in an old age, but after being submerged in boiling oil. And recovering from that. 
if God wanted his people taken out of the world and all that the danger that that entails to stay in the world he would have said not protect them he would have said father take them out but he didn't his plan was for us to stay well why so that we could glorify him by fighting a battle where there are enemies so that we could learn to resist temptation so that we could to learn to obey him and swimming upstream against the current because we believe that he is trustworthy and his word is reliable and he is worthy of our obedience and that's how he receives glory so let's be clear that the situation is Jesus is leaving he's sending the Holy Spirit but he by deliberate plan for our own good and blessing and for his glory has left us in the world that's the situation but he does this he says I'm going to give them your word so that they'll be able to have their mind enlightened and their heart strengthened and they'll be able to trust it and have certainty and they'll be able to obey but even obedience is not enough in a world that's cosmologically planned and designed to ignore and then defy God but Jesus said in the world you have much tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world the focus of our worship this morning is Jesus is Lord and that's why when the scripture was read it was Psalm 2 in Revelation I have installed my king on God's holy on the whole, my holy hill. Jesus is Lord. And there are limits to what the world can do. And if he asks that we be protected, we will be protected. So that's the situation. Let's go a little further. Let's look at There it is. The expression of his heart. He says, Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be as one as we are one. We're going to save the being one for a little bit later on another verse. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me, and none has been lost but the one that was doomed. So he says, Father, I protected them, and now you protect them. Okay, what are we protected from? First of all, I want to give you two things. And these come from what Jesus has taught and then from other places. For example, Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, protect them from the evil one. Now, We've already talked about the world, and we're going to come back to that. Now we're about to talk about something that is hard to talk about because we wouldn't know the things I'm about to share with you unless the Holy Scriptures told us about them. And even then, there's just a lot of information there, and it's a scary topic too. Let me begin by asking you this question. There's a lot of good in this world. The sun shines, the rain comes down. The sun and the earth and the planets stay in their orbit. 
we're able to understand the world that we live in. We're able to utilize it to make ourselves wealthy. Uh, we're able to understand and relate to other people and enter into friendships and fellowship and even families and have children. There's so much good in the world. So I ask you, is that good random and blind or is it purposeful and intelligent? That's the question, isn't it? Because someone say it's just blind randomness. The fact that you can smell a rose and enjoy the scent and look at flowers and enjoy their beauty is just blind, raw emptiness. There's no purpose to creation. There's no purpose to our lives. And when we die, it's all over. That's how someone view it. Another view, though, is in the beginning, God created heaven and earth that there's a purpose and a design to the creation, and the source of all good is an intelligent person, powerful, personal, purposeful. You see, those are two different views, aren't they? One is the world's view, and the other is the revelation of God, the Scripture's view. You can see how they would clash. So having asked the question, is the good intelligent and purposeful and comes from a person, I want to ask you this. Is the evil intelligent and purposeful and comes from a person? Or is it just random and blind? You know, storms and sickness and death and violence. It's just, it's just random. It just happens. It's just chaos. Or, if there's an intelligence behind the good, is there an intelligence behind the bad? Scripture states that there's an intelligence behind the good, God, and there is an intelligence behind the evil, Satan. Now, who in the world is Satan? Satan, apparently, was from Scripture, was one of the angels that God created. In fact, he was the most powerful, most intelligent, most beautiful angel that God created. And his power and his beauty and his intelligence reached the point where he said, I'm about as close to God as you can get. In fact, I think I will be God. I will rise in rebellion, overthrow him, and take over all of creation. And there was war in heaven because a bunch of angels said, we like following him because then we're going to get some loot rather than following God because all we get is work and wages. God put down the rebellion, and then he cursed Satan and all his followers. From becoming angels, they became demons. But because they're eternal, he didn't destroy them. He said, I will let you continue to live and do what you want to do because that will create a world where I will have the most glory because I'll demonstrate my justice on the evil and I'll demonstrate my mercy on this group of people that will love my son, and he will die for them, and they will serve him for all eternity. Justice and mercy. So that means there is this person running around, and his goal is to ignore God if possible and move from that to defying God, and if possible, defeat the purposes of God. And he did his best, you know, he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Well, he, first of all, he tried to get him killed. 
He, remember Herod killing all those children? Let's get him killed because he's the son of God and there's a plan and a purpose here. Did you know that Satan could read? He reads the same Bible we do. So let's try to kill him. And if we can't do that, let's try to tempt him. And if we can't do that, let's try to destroy him through betrayal. And if we can't do that, let's try to kill him again. He succeeded. The hands of evil men were used to put to death the Son of God. And Satan squealed in triumph. Because now the Son of God was dead. And any hopes that were pinned to him, the root of Jesse, the bright and morning star, the captor and leader of his people, were destroyed and stomped into the dust. But that's not all. This story continued. Because three days later, guess what? He rose from the dead. The sin was paid and completed. And at that resurrection, Romans 1, he made him the son of God in Psalm 2. I have installed my king on my holy hill, declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Can you imagine the moaning and the groaning and the anguish throughout hell for the devil and his demons? He's back! I saw him die and buried, but he's back. And then Satan and his demons only had one thing left because they knew that their end was assured in a lake of fire and for eternity. That was to do everything they could to thwart the purposes and the plans of God through Jesus Christ. And there was one group of people, what did they call? Little Christ, Christians, and Antioch, that's where they got the name. Let me attack them. In fact, let me make it my number one purpose to thwart and destroy Christians and their church and the light that they bring to the world. Now, I thought when I became a Christian, my troubles were over. No one told me I just made an enemy of the most powerful, intelligent being that God ever created. Did anyone tell you that when they shared the gospel with you? And I woke up one day and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. All this evil in my life and all this evil in the world can't just be random. It's too purposeful, it's too planned, it's too intelligent. And then I read the Bible and I find out not only is the good have an intelligence behind it. The evil has an intelligence behind it also. And it's a good thing that Jesus says, Father, protect them. Protect them. Well, let me give you three brief ways that we have protected from this powerful being. I wrote these down. First of all, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, we should not let Satan outwit us, 
for we are not unaware of his schemes. First of all, just be aware. If you came here this morning thinking that uh, evil was blind, I've just informed you from Scripture that evil has an intelligence behind it. In fact, you're on Satan's prayer list. Did you know that Satan prays? Jesus said, Satan, Jesus said, Peter, Satan has requested permission to sift you, has permission from God. Well, if you ask God for something, that's called what? Prayer. So what's Satan's prayer? Let me sift Jerry. Let me sift the elders at Grace Church. Let me sift the deacons. Let me sift every member and every believer. Give me a shot at them. And God says, nope, I'm going to take them out of the world so that doesn't happen. Mm -mm. He says, stay in the world and I'll protect you. First of all, be aware that we have an enemy and there's a purpose and there's a design behind it. Secondly, here's what Scripture says in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee. Here's my theory. Satan has a short attention span. He's very self-centered. He's very prideful. And the one thing he can't take is rejection. So when the temptation comes, even a little bit of resistance to him and his demons puts him off his feet. He immediately said, I can't take this. You know, he, they, they just said, I'm not worth listening to. I can be resisted. I'm the most powerful being in the world, second to God. I can't stand being resisted. And he turns and runs. He flees. So you don't have to overcome. All you got to do is resist. Just say no with as feebly as you can. And you'll find that Satan flees. When I first read that or was taught that, I said, what can I do standing up against Satan? He knows me. He knows what, you know, how to turn my levers. And he said, just resist, submit to God, resist Satan, and he will flee. I found that it works. Third, were there three there? Yeah, that was it. I'm going to stop there. Be aware of and resist. Now, let's move on so we can use our time good. That's Satan. If you weren't aware of him when you came in, you've now been made aware, Okay. So, you're aware of him, be aware of his schemes, secondly, resist him. But let's go into the second thing. Jesus says, I am leaving, but they are still in the world. The world is this organized cosmos against God. Romans 1 says that the world suppresses the truth of God. It's not that there isn't enough information, there's too much that it has to be suppressed in unrighteousness. So, when you see unrighteousness, increasing and multiplying. Why is that? Because the truth is coming through so blindingly that it has to be suppressed with evil. Because evil is darkness, and that's how you suppress light. But Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
There are two things. Actually, there are three, but we'll come to the other one later. You know the triumvirate, don't you? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. What's the triumvirate? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We'll talk about a flesh the other time, another time, because who's our own greatest enemy? Us. Us. We are the greatest enemy. Okay? In fact, there was a pastor down in Texas in the late, early 20th century, and he was a Baptist pastor, and it was First Baptist in Dallas, and that's one of the biggest, beautiful churches in the world. And the pastor's a very public figure. Right now, he's even in the news. He preaches a sermon, and it's all over the place. And back then, and it was more so, and in that church, all the rich people, all the powerful people, all the place people attended that church, and they got a new pastor. And after he'd been there for a year, he announced the, the title of his sermon, and it was, the person who has caused me the most trouble in my first year in the pastor. The person in this church who's caused me the most trouble. It went out like a bolt of electricity. The gossip was incredible. When they got there that day on that Sunday, the place was packed. Some people had their attorneys with them. <laughs> they were going to sue. And the pastor got up in the pulpit and he said, I will announce his name. The one person that's given me the most trouble in my first year here is me. Me, my sin, my failures, being a fallen person in a fallen world, my temptations, I am the person that has caused me the most trouble. We'll come back to that. The devil, we've talked about him. That's enough about him. The world that's organized against God and his purpose and his people. But Jesus said, I protected them. And he says to Father, you protect them. And do you think that Jesus, the Son of God, who for three years did everything the Father told him, and in whom the Father said, with you I am well pleased, who said, I will put you on the throne and you will be the king of all kings. When he prayed, protect do you think that prayer will be answered? Do you think there's anything would have stopped the Father from answering that prayer? Are there any demons, the devil himself, any cataclysm, poverty, disease, war? Do you think there's anything that could stop that prayer from being answered? No. Be of good cheer. In the world, you will have much tribulation, but I have overcome the world. And he is our captain. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We follow his leadership. He is our king. What he does, we can do. Because he is with us, and he is in us, and he has prayed for us. So when it comes to Satan, I want to be aware of his schemes. I want to resist so he will flee. When it comes to the world, I want to be aware of what the world is trying to do. 
In fact, I gave you some verses here on the front of the, of the worship folder that are pretty straightforward. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do not love the world. Resist the world. Overcome the world. And then James, in his inimitable and blunt matter, says this in chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Because the world, not creation, the cosmos, the organized evil to ignore and defy God is at war with God, is the enemy of God. And to love the world and be friends with it is to be an enemy of God. Choose this day. Will you be friends with the world or friends with God? Will you love the world or love God? You can't do both because they are enemies. Will you be used by the world or serve the Creator? And then James says this, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That is how serious the conflict is. So you came here this morning and you find out you've got an enemy that's the greatest created being in the universe. And you've got a world that's seeking to subvert your love from God. That's bad news. <laughs> but wait a minute. It can't be bad news because that's God's plan. He's the one that lets Satan roam. He's the one that lets Satan harm the heel of his son. He's the one that left us in the world. So it must be good. It's good that puny, fallen, human, flesh and blood creatures will stand up and resist Satan and defy the world because they have a Lord who is worthy of all allegiance. And they're willing to pay the price that's needed. And because they are confident that they will be protected. That's good news. That's good news. So no matter how tough it gets, own your Lord. Swim against the current. Speak up in the silence. Shine in the darkness. Because we are his plan for light and love in this world. Be protected. That's what Jesus said. You are. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he left the world, he did not leave us unprotected. And Father, your word gives us confidence and certainty, but your protection gives us boldness and bravery. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for protecting us.
so that we might live a life honoring to you. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.